Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic. Everyone is always cordially invited to join co-host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries and disappearances, and lots more. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at Uncle Mark's Attic. Feel free to reach out and contact us with your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear from you. So, as some of you may be able to tell, we have a little bit of a quality upgrade. We got a new camera here, and we got this camera here. So we're working with two camera angles today. Uh, we did a little bit of upgrades for our setup. We got some new lighting up here. Um, I had another one. I just haven't set it up yet. So by the next episode, you'll probably have that one over here, and it'll kind of balance us out. But I think it looks pretty good. What about you? I think so. Can everyone see my gray hair clearer? Is it better looking now? It's real. It's all natural. Yes, and we have someone else assisting us too on the podcast. Yes, we here. have my brother. He's behind the whole control. He's running control this operation. panel. Yes, he's running. He's this operation. running the show here. So he's doing a great job. Yeah, Thank whatever you, he does, whatever he switches, I can't really see until it's the final product. So I trust him. Yep, he's, we got a lot riding on him. So if he messes up, he's out of here. <laughs> he won't mess up. <laughs> So come on into the attic with us now as we go exploring and find out what mysteries we are working on today. Today's episode is about the Havana Syndrome. So, over the last few months, there has been a number of news reports and documentaries about a phenomenon which is known as Havana Syndrome. 60 Minutes recently aired an extensive report on the subject, as did the Science Channel. And the United States uh, Department just announced that American diplomats and family members who have been impacted by severe Havana syndrome symptoms and who required at least a year of medical assistance are eligible to receive compensation payments of $140,000 or $187,000. So, what exactly is this Havana syndrome? And is this something we should be concerned about? Well, Zach and I think that it is something that all of us should be aware of and we will explain why as we provide an overview first of what the Havana syndrome exactly is. And then we'll talk about some of the medical problems that a number of the victims have and are continuing to suffer with. And the different theories that have been put forth and offered as to what the cause of this Havana syndrome is. So we start back in December of 2016. There were some American diplomats and CIA officers who were working at the United States Embassy in Havana, Cuba and they began to experience and report mysterious medical symptoms. Uh, some of the people were suddenly falling ill with severe headaches or migraines, hearing and vision loss, brain fog, short-term memory loss, tinnitus, which is that ringing sound or, or buzzing that you can have in your ears, and also severe cognitive impairment. They were incapable of performing their jobs. Since then, at least several hundred additional diplomats CIA officers or spies, if you will, and military personnel who provide security at our embassies from embassies around the world and even here in the United States itself have suffered the same cluster of medical symptoms. Some of the victims have described what they felt as a wall of sound that occurred while they're in one specific location, and that's important to keep in mind, but not in other locations. And this is usually not in the embassy buildings themselves, but in the apartments or the, uh, the housing facilities that are provided to them as employees of the United States Embassy in whatever country they're located in. So that's very important. They're being targeted in the homes or apartments where they're living 
while they're serving in these embassies overseas. This seems to indicate that they're somehow being deliberately targeted. The symptoms and the severity of the symptoms do differ from one person to the next. So, in December of 2017, senior CIA officers who were in a hotel room in Moscow, Russia, experienced severe headaches and dizziness and uh, tinnitus? Tinnitus. Tinnitus Mm -hmm. and nausea. Uh, One of them had to retire in the summer of 2019 as a result of his continuing symptoms. Uh, Initially, he thought he had been hit by a technical surveillance tool that had been turned up too much. But as additional CIA personnel working in Russia became ill with this same cluster of symptoms, he became or he came to believe uh, that he had been targeted with a weapon of some sort. Right. And I'll just stop right there and just say that that's normal that in uh, most of our embassies, in other nations around the globe, we do have CIA personnel. Uh, very often, they're operating undercover as some sort of, with some sort of diplomatic title, some sort of job position, working in trade or whatever it is. Things that normally go on within the embassy. That's pretty much a standard procedure, and it has been for decades for the United States, and quite frankly, for just about every other country on the planet. It's just part of the world that we live in now. Espionage is an ongoing. Uh, occupation and something that just is being carried out by everybody watching what's going on in other nations and they're watching what's going on in our nation and they're putting in so there's nothing unusual about that now in early 2018 nine additional americans were struck with these very same symptoms while they were working in china now we're going to give a few examples of people as we go through this podcast we can't go through all of them or we'll be here for hours this will be the never-ending podcast so we've just picked some certain cases just to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about as we're trying to provide this overview of just what this havana syndrome is so this one case here is a commerce department official who was stationed in china named robin garfield and he was living there with his wife and his two children he reported that he and his family his wife and the two children were attacked a number of times during 2018 at the home they were staying in that had been provided for them while they're working in China. They were eventually enrolled, along with a number of other Americans from our embassies overseas. They were uh, enrolled in a special program that the State Department operated at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, Garfield goes on to claim that while he and his family were staying at a hotel in Philadelphia, while they're being treated in the State Department program at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, they were attacked again. He firmly believes, and he has said this in a number of interviews, that he and his family were targeted by a weapon. While his children were thrashing about and kicking in their beds while they're in this hotel in Philadelphia, he decided to pick up each of the children to try to calm them down. This is in the middle of the night. As he leaned down to pick up The first child, he heard a very distinct noise that he compared to the sound of rushing water. Uh, That happened when he bent down then to pick up the second child as well, and that's very typical of what other people have reported who feel that they've been attacked. These strange sounds uh, that hit them in the initial phase of what becomes what they believe is an attack on them by a targeting weapon. Another case that we can talk about is here in the United States. Miles Taylor, who had been the chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security, reported in April of 2018, he woke up in his apartment that was on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. 
He, held, he heard what he thought were and described as loud chirping noises. You almost think about crickets or cicadas, um, something like that, or was it possibly even some strange noise coming out of a digital device? Anyway, the incident lasted about seven to ten minutes, and this is around somewhere between 3 and 3.30 a.m., in the morning in his apartment. So he finally decided to get up, get out of bed. He walked over to the closest window and opened it and looked out. Outside his apartment, he spotted a white van that was parked there. The brake lights went on immediately and then the van just sped off. Five weeks later, the exact same thing happened to him again in his apartment. And this is important because all of the initial reports were coming from diplomatic personnel, CIA personnel, our officers that are working overseas, and military guards, usually United States Marines, who are assigned to provide security at most of our embassies around the world. So here we have an actual incident where it happened on American soil. This is not someone working in the diplomatic field or working at an embassy. And that's very important to keep in mind, and we'll explain why in just a minute. So real quick, I just want to say that I'm not a very paranoid person myself, but if an incident like this were to happen and then repeat again five weeks later, I would definitely think that someone is targeting me. Um, oh, yeah. It's definitely weird to look outside and see a white van after you just had these weird mm -hmm. kind of symptoms, but then it's another thing to feel it again five weeks later and look out a window and see that there's a white van. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, I agree. Yeah. It's fishy. I'd be, I'd be suspect. I'd definitely board up my house and not look out any windows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in the summer of 2019, Olivia Troy, a counterterrorism advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, fell ill on the steps uh, on the executive office building, which is close to the White House. She described having a piercing feeling on the side of her head, dizziness and nausea. Uh, she stated that she became somewhat disoriented. She experienced the same problem on three additional occasions on the park known as the Ellipse, mm -hmm. directly south of the White House. It is important to note that the Havana Syndrome was not only affecting American personnel, a number of Canadian diplomats have also suffered the same cluster of medical issues. Uh, in 2017, one Canadian diplomat in Havana reported multiple episodes had occurred in the home where she was living in Havana, and her children were also suffering from the same medical issues as Americans were reporting. Her daughter had awoken on a number of occasions with heavy nosebleeds, migraines, ringing in the ears, and dizziness, and her son had experienced dizziness and hearing issues. Another Canadian diplomat reported that his family had been awakened during the night with a loud noise, and his sons had also experienced the heavy nosebleeds, dizziness, and episodes of losing consciousness. Eventually, several Canadian diplomats actually sued the Canadian government for placing them in what they considered to be a dangerous post without adequately warning them and also without providing proper medical treatment after the onset of these medical symptoms and illnesses. That's important to note that it wasn't just affecting... American personnel. The only other nation whose personnel have been affected as of this date with these symptoms and illnesses associated with the Havana syndrome are members of the Canadian diplomatic corps and their own intelligence operatives. So that is important. We'll talk about that a little bit more also because now we're going to start going through uh, some of the theories that go on. The very first theory that was offered 
when all of this first started, going back into December of 2016 and then into 2017, 2018, the number one theory that was really going around in circulation and it gained a lot of traction was the idea that sonic weapons were being used somehow. Sonic weapons are weapons that would be able to send concentrated sound waves. That's what sonic means, sound waves towards a directed target. The problem with this theory is that the victims were normally in, as we mentioned earlier, either the hotel rooms or apartments where they're staying while they're, where they're stationed overseas or in the, you know, the housing that's provided for them. So when the symptoms, uh, they're, they're in these uh, facilities, not the embassy, when the symptoms are first striking them. So if someone used a weapon that directed sound waves towards a building, usually most of those sound waves are going to literally bounce off the walls and not really affect anyone inside. As the number of cases of Havana syndrome increased, additional serious investigations were undertaken. And in 2020, there were two reports published. One was by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. And the second was a report that was ended, uh, ended up being published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And that comes out from the work that was being done at the University of Pennsylvania. So both of these reports, in the end, actually pointed to what they considered the four plausible attack vectors that could be responsible for what was happening to these people as a result of Havana syndrome. Now, the first theory was that it could involve some form of chemicals or pesticides. The second theory was infectious agents, like a viral, viral agents, like a virus. Uh, the third is psychological factors, which is really a nice way of saying mass hysteria. And then, of course, the fourth was the idea or the theory of directed radio frequency energy or what we would call microwave energy, microwave pulses. Both of these reports, the one from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medical Association, uh, uh, Medicine, and then the one that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, both of these reports uh, concluded that the most plausible cause for the symptoms associated with Havana syndrome were directed radio frequency energy or microwave pulse weapons. Uh, now we're going to look at the other three attack vectors uh, first and see why they are not considered to be the likely cause of the syndrome. In 2019, a team of Israeli scientists and doctors published a report that pointed to pesticides as the likeliest cause of the syndrome. They believed that overexposure to the chemicals that were being used in various pesticides or insecticides to stop the spread of the Zika virus were responsible for the neurological symptoms and brain injuries of the victims. The problem with this theory uh, why would only American and Canadian personnel be affected by these widely used pesticides and insecticides? Why wouldn't we be seeing the same medical symptoms with the embassy personnel of other countries? And this same question applies to the second possible attack vector. Infectious agents such as the Zika virus. Mm -hmm. Why would infectious agents only be affecting the American and Canadian personnel. Such agents would spread through general population. Exactly. Uh, then we come to the psychological factors, and this is the explanation that many of the professional debunkers and skeptics have latched onto. After the first cases from Havana had been reported, the FBI did a preliminary investigation. The team was sent to investigate the situation in Cuba, determined that the American victims were experiencing neurological symptoms, 
but there were no physical or environmental explanations for the actual cause of these symptoms. This report was criticized by many people since the FBI never actually interviewed any of the victims themselves. Yes, and some of those people that were criticizing this FBI report that leaked out were some of the actual doctors who were treating and working with these patients, these American victims of what we're referring to as the Havana Syndrome. They were really outraged that they had not been spoken to, nor had the patients themselves, the victims, been spoken to. How can you possibly come up with any kind of serious, scientific, conclusive report when you haven't interviewed the people who are involved and talked to the medical personnel who are treating them and running the test on them? So they deserve to be criticized. And remember what we said just a little earlier, the FBI itself has quite a few personnel stationed overseas, and we'll talk about that a little later also, because they have dozens of offices across the seas, usually located within American embassies. And, uh, I mean, they should have naturally been concerned about this whole issue anyway, but they didn't distinguish themselves very well with this initial investigation into the Havana Syndrome. Yeah. That you really have to be a little bit more thorough about that and also show a little bit more respect and concern about the, the, the victims themselves, let alone the doctors treating them. You would think that that would be the first step is to, I would to think interview so. the people who have experienced exactly. the symptoms of this. Yeah, they, were, they, were, they deserve to be criticized on that one. That just wasn't, it wasn't worth the paper that it was written on, really. It's a shame. Now, a number of doctors and scientists then began to publicly suggest that what all of these diplomats all of these CIA officers stationed overseas at embassies and all the military personnel guarding these embassies, what they were experiencing was mass psychogenic illness, or what used to be more commonly called mass hysteria. And this one really has taken off, and it continues to be offered by quite a few, what I like to call the professional debunkers and the professional skeptics out there. Uh, the definition of mass Psychogenic illness is an outbreak of physical illness in a group that appears to have an organic cause, but it actually stems from psychological causes like anxiety or stress instead. Now, in 2020, a book was actually, the only book I know of, was actually published about the Havana Syndrome. Dr. Robert Bartholomew, who is a medical sociologist, and I believe he's American, but he's teaching uh, down in New Zealand, and uh, at a medical school there. And Dr. Robert Bello, a UCLA neurologist, published the book, and it was entitled Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness and the Real Story Behind the Embassy Mystery and the Hysteria. <laughs> right off, that subtitle tells you a little bit about what they're going to be going into here because they're going to be pushing very much this whole mass hysteria theory. On the very back cover of their book that came out in 2020, it states, and I'm quoting here now, the mating calls of insects were mistaken for a sonic weapon. That's a quote. And here's the next quote. While physicians treating victims have described it as a novel and perplexing condition that involves an array of complaints, including brain damage, the authors present compelling evidence that mass psychogenic illness was the cause of Havana syndrome. First off, right off the bat, I can just tell you after working over 40 years, at the University of Pennsylvania Health System, starting off with the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, that is a real slap in the face, a slap in the face of any of the doctors and all of the medical personnel that have been working with these patients, these victims, these fellow Americans of ours that are suffering all of these ungodly 
medical symptoms. It's not just a case of a passing, you know, headache or, you know, this little bit of ringing in the ear for a while. The problem with many of these people, and this is what has perplexed the medical doctors that are approaching this seriously and trying to take care of the patients, is that these symptoms go on and on and on. They don't just stop. It's not just a temporary situation for them. And in some cases, it has actually caused some of these American citizens, State Department, diplomatic personnel, or CIA officers or military uh, uh, soldiers, you know, guarding our embassies, it's caused them to actually have to leave, to give up their careers, to actually retire and leave their positions. So it's a very disruptive thing. It's actually caused a lot of pain and suffering for quite a few of our fellow Americans. So if nothing else, I think we should be uh, very carefully listening to the medical doctors who are personally treating these patients, evaluating them, doing the testing on them. I think it's kind of a slap in the face to say that uh, these doctors are somehow so stupid that they're mistaking the mating calls of insects uh, you know, uh, as you know, the, the mating calls of insects were mistaken as some sort of sonic weapon, and that this is nonsense. These people are just all displaying the symptoms of mass hysteria. That there's absolutely nothing really yeah. physically or medically wrong with them. These trained and experienced doctors that are treating them do beg to differ, and they've made that very clear. Yeah, I I agree. I I personally don't buy the whole mass hysteria thing. I feel like it's an excuse for them to kind of push us onto the back burner and kind of try and just make it disappear. That's that's how I see it personally, but well we'll go into it a little bit more now with what, you know, the research that we've done about not just their book, but certainly, you know, from a lot of the information that's in their book that's being commonly circulated now by people all over social media and on some of the news programs that I've watched. I mean, they're they're still they're still pushing this. They're still pushing this whole idea of this is nothing more than mass hysteria. And yeah. we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail about that right now. In their book, they explain that mass psychogenic illness normally follows social networks, beginning first in small cohesive groups, and then it spreads outward. In the case of the American personnel stationed in Havana, you see a classic example of people who all belong to a common work environment and are operating under a high degree of stress in a foreign country where they are aware they are under surveillance by foreign agents 24-7. The authors provide examples of cases of mass hysteria from the past and classify the way the entire Havana syndrome had been treated by government officials and the mass media as a wild goose chase uh, looking for unicorns a global experiment in mass suggestion, and a waste of money. So, in interviews that were uh, that we have read, Dr. Bartholomew refers to Havana Syndrome as a stress-induced psychological illness spread via rumor and innuendo. A psychological illness, in other words, it is all in the victim's head. There is no physical cause for the symptoms they are experiencing and as the mystery of Havana syndrome starts to become public knowledge and as other diplomatic personnel in other countries start to hear about it fear begins to spread so more and more people begin to wonder uh, if they are also suffering any similar symptoms or medical issues that they cannot explain the authors 
then use examples such as cases involving students who hear rumors that there was tainted food in the cafeteria and some other students have gotten sick from it. Then the students who hear these rumors begin to feel that they are getting sick. It's almost like a placebo, a placebo yes. effect if you yes. think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that theory has definitely been going around. I'll just point out one thing as, as we were talking about that just now. I was just remembering. I've actually read interviews that were done with some of the doctors who have actually been treating the patients. And in a number of the interviews I've read, the doctors, especially at the University of Pennsylvania, have made it very clear that while they were working with individual patients, American personnel from different embassies, not just Cuban, and now it's gone beyond Havana. We've had a number of cases, you know, in, from uh, embassies in Europe, quite a few numbers, uh, quite, a, quite a number of cases in Europe and Asia, Australia, South America. And when they would be working with these patients, they would actually find out that these patients that they were treating, say that were stationed at an embassy in Europe somewhere, they actually didn't know about this Havana syndrome initially, or they hadn't heard anything about the diplomatic personnel in Havana and gotten this idea that they're getting the same thing. Or the, So it, it just calls into question this whole, I understand mass hysteria is a real thing. In their book, they go through a history of all kinds of past incidents, historical cases of mass hysteria, yeah. not just in schools, but, you know, in towns and cities, you know, things that can happen. Absolutely. It's an absolutely real phenomenon. But I just think that when you look at this objectively and when you read and listen to those doctors who are treating the patients, you find out that this is kind of a simplistic approach to this. And that's not exactly what the medical doctors who are treating the patients themselves are finding out they're quite aware of what mass hysteria is they're quite aware of the mass psychogenic illness theory and all that but that's not what they're picking up as they sit there and talk with and physically treat and medically treat these patients and victims that they're working with so once again i think let's show a little bit more respect for the doctors who are trained and experienced and are actually in the trenches are actually working with these patients and are finding out what's going on. They're trying to determine the cause. It is a mystery in many ways, but at least give them some credit for their training and their education, their experience. And let's not look for some simplistic approach or just brush things off as chasing after unicorns. These are kind of insulting terms to use. Anyway, while the mass psychogenic illness theory became popular and it's continuing to be used by the professional debunkers and skeptics that Zach and I just love to do battle with, Uh, As their primary talking point, other medical doctors and scientists here in the United States have embraced the theory of weapons involving direct radio frequency waves or energy as being the ultimate culprit behind the Havana syndrome. Directed radio frequency energy, again, is referring to weapons that are using microwaves, radio waves. Now, doctors and scientists have been aware that since World War II, There were multiple reports of people who could hear something when radar stations that were located nearby, the the actual radar machinery was switched on and was sending microwaves into the sky and they would actually hear something. So there was noise being generated by the turning on of these uh, radar stations that were using microwaves that were being sent into the sky. Dr. David Relman is one of the people we like to talk about here during this podcast. He's a professor of microbiology and immunology at Stanford University, and he helped to lead two separate government-sponsored panels of scientists and doctors that investigated the Havana syndrome. And in interviews 
regarding the work of these two panels, Dr. Relman has said, and I'm quoting here now, what we found was we thought clear evidence of an injury to the auditory and the vestibular system of the brain. Everything, starting with the inner ear where humans perceive sound and sense balance and then translate these perceptions into brain electrical impulses. And that evidence was found within a subset, a smaller group of the overall patient population that was being examined and tested for Havana syndrome. Evidence found within a subset of those patients being treated for the syndrome, their experiences seem to be literally unexplainable. As Dr. Roman explained, this subset of cases had a very unusual so-called acute sensory event. The abrupt onset of intense pressure or vibration in the face or head, sometimes the abrupt uh, uh, onset of sound. Now, the sound and the feeling of pressure would come from one direction, and it would be focused in one location. So, if the person left the room where was, this was occurring, the pressure and sound dissipated. If the person then returned to the room, the sound and pressure uh, sound and pressure or vibration returned. Per Dr. Roman, that to us was something that we never heard of. We could not explain by known medical or environmental conditions, and to us, this deserved our special attention in an effort to understand what might be plausible uh, mechanism. The committees came to the conclusion that this mechanism could most likely be pulsed electromagnetic energy. In other words, a focused beam of microwaves from a distance. Yeah, that was so puzzling to, and it's so puzzling to many of the doctors who are treating the patients, as well as the doctors that were trying to investigate this from the outside, that this was so specific to a location. So in other words, you know, uh, in so many of the cases, one of the Americans who were being examined by the doctors and being questioned by the doctors, uh, you know, would make it very clear that that initial attack of the symptoms happened in a very specific location in their hotel room or their apartment uh, or the housing facility that they were living in where then, when they're stationed overseas with our embassies. And if they were to leave that room where that initial wall of sound would hit them, those piercing uh, pressure points that were hitting them and then the other symptoms would start kicking in, the ringing in the ears and the headaches and all that. Then you leave the room, that all begins to dissipate. Come back into the room and then it starts up again. Well, that's immediately making these doctors think of this sounds targeted. This isn't something like in the in the environment all around you, no matter what room you're in or you know, where you happen to be sitting or what bed, you know, if you're in your bedroom and you're, you're lying down, it doesn't seem to be spreading through the whole place. It seems to be a very targeted location where these attacks are occurring and they can literally, the attacks can literally dissipate as you remove yourself from that location and then kick up again as you go back into that location. Of course, people only learned that through experience, you know, as they were trying exactly. to react to what was happening to them. Now, the conclusion by these committees of doctors and scientists leads us to this question. Is it possible for anyone to actually have developed a weapon capable of firing microwave radiation or microwave beams? Now, we do know already today in 2022 that spies already use various devices or tools in their trade that do emit microwaves 
And these devices and tools are being used to help them access data that is lo uh, you know, located in somebody's computer or their smartphones. But what about the idea of an actual weapon? Those devices are just spy devices or espionage devices trying to get data, basically. But they're spying. They're trying to get yeah. information to mm -hmm. report back to their governments. That's what the, that's the job of the spies is to find out everything they can about whoever it is that they're spying on. Professor James Lynn, who's an electrical engineering expert at the University of Illinois, has suggested that microwave weapons could have definitely generated the mysterious sounds that have been reported by so many of the victims of this Havana syndrome. Dr. Lynn has said, and we're quoting here, Quote, it is plausible that the loud buzzing, the burst of sound or acoustic pressure waves that may have been covertly or secretly delivered using high-powered microwave radiation rather than blasting the subjects with those conventional sonic or focused sound beam sources. Such a microwave attack could explain the various reports of the ear ringing or buzzing sounds, the hearing loss, which in some cases... For some of our American personnel, the hearing loss has become permanent. The dizziness, the trouble keeping one's balance, the migraines and severe headaches, the brain fog, and even the brain tissue injuries. So there's Dr. James Lynn from the University of Illinois suggesting strongly that microwave weapons could certainly have generated these sounds that are the beginning of the experience that these poor people have undergone that then leads to the symptoms and the medical illnesses that they've experienced that we call the Havana syndrome. Yeah, I have ear ringing sometimes all the time, and they say uh, when your ears ring, someone's talking about you, right? So, I mean, I can almost bet that I'm I'm not being blasted with these microwaves, no. and someone's just talking about me. I And I hope that's just the case for me. So yeah. that's all I have to say. They should ring a lot because I talk about you all the time behind your back. <laughs> I have lots of stuff I can tell you. Someday yeah. I'll do a podcast by myself and tell you uh, all about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm getting kicked off the podcast, Marks. I think a lot of us, I mean, I do. I get tinnitus. Of course, I'm a, a little older than you, slightly <laughs> slightly older than you. But yeah, the tinnitus, it's a lot of, and usually it's, you know, it's a brief thing. I know I, it'll hit me and all of a sudden I have this, this you know, like buzzing sound or yeah. high pitched yep. noise. Or the, and then, but it passes, it really does pass. And if I don't think about it, it really passes. You know, I'm not dwelling on it, it, it doesn't last, but these people can have it for hours yeah. on end. Oh and my, it, that would drive me nuts. It was crippling them as well as the headaches and all these other things that we're reading to you about and the, and the uh, brain fog, you know, cognitive impairment, the inability to think things. So this is why they were incapable of, of doing their jobs. And that is what has sadly led to some of them actually having to give up their careers and their jobs. So it, it really is, uh, it's sad. It's a sad situation. And we have to really think about this syndrome and what it's doing to some of our fellow Americans. Now, Dr. Lin also points out that back in, back in the 1970s, he performed a number of experiments with microwaves. During the experiments, you could actually hear high-power microwaves that were delivered as pulses, and the series of pulses would sound like birds chirping. He explains that the energy from these microwaves were absorbed by the soft brain tissue and was then converted to a pressure wave inside the head. The brain would interpret this pressure wave as sound. And while he was experimenting with microwaves himself here in the United States in the 1970s, he also traveled to the Soviet Union and met with his counterparts over there. They were also experimenting with microwaves. Skeptics like Dr. Kenneth Foster, a 
bioengineering professor at the University of Pennsylvania, scoff at the idea of a microwave pulse gun. He considers the idea, uh, the very idea, implausible or a real stretch. He has said it would require something like a major airport radar, radar transmitter with the subject's head close to the antenna and in its direct beam. However, not so, says Dr. Lin. <laughs> he did read uh, the writings and report of this bio uh, the bioengineering professor from the University of Pennsylvania. Here we are again at the University of Pennsylvania. So you have opposing sides right within the university itself. But not so, said Dr. Lin, and we'll give you an exact quote. Dr. Lin said, quote, the experimental setup does not need to be large. It is not difficult to do. If one has a high-powered pulse microwave generator, all the other equipment are commonly available lab electronic instruments, easily available and, and can be bought in many, many places. Very easy for you to get without any problem. And all of this equipment can be arranged on a typical laboratory bench or a small SUV to produce the phenomena at a threshold hearing level or to trigger the microwave auditory effect. You do not need a large apparatus to focus energy on a very small or targeted area. Dr. Lin was not amused by <laughs> Dr. Foster's report there. And the, I, I, I could have put in some other quotes there that made it clear that Dr. Lin was questioning just how much experience does this guy have with equipment, like yeah. I have since I've been doing this stuff since the 70s. But seriously, he did say, like, you know, I really question whether this guy has any real first-hand experience because he's got to be kidding. I can show him easily that you don't need some large yeah. airport size radars. You don't need this. This can be set up in a laboratory, quite frankly. And unfortunately, once it's up and running, it can actually be located within even something the size of an SUV-sized vehicle, basically. Also, we'd like to add here, Dr. James Giordano, who's a professor of neurology at Georgetown University in Washington, has stated that the United States itself was building the prototypes, the working models of portable microwave weapons all the way back in 2004. The research was stopped, and the reason they stopped it was due to what they call, they, the scientists working on it, and the departments responsible for this, ethical concerns. And that meant that in order to successfully test such weapons and to see if they were effective, it would have required that human beings would have to be actual subjects in the experiment. So the United States itself in 2004 was working on and developed prototypes of actual portable, portable, they could be carried, small, they're not large, portable microwave weapons, but the program was stopped due to ethical concerns. The United States Marine Corps had engineers working on a potential weapon that is named, and Zach and I love this name, the Medusa. This weapon was to be a portable microwave weapon, small enough to fit into a car. And this is what Dr. Giordano is referring to here. The Medusa weapon would cause, and, and we'll use a quote here, a temporary incapacitating effect on a human target with low probability of killing the target or of even causing permanent injury. In other words, exactly what, what's happening with these people in the Havana syndrome. You're not trying to kill someone, you're trying to incapacitate them to stop them from being able to carry out their duties. That was the actual purpose of this weapon that the Marine Corps had subcontracted companies to work on and engineers were working on and they had a working prototype of this too, the Medusa weapon. 
And MEDUSA stands for its M-E-D-U-S-A. And those letters stand for, this is something else Zach and I love, mob excess deterrent using silent audio. Now the company that had been subcontracted to work and develop this Medusa weapon was the Waveband Corporation. They worked on and developed the prototype of this weapon. The ultimate goal was to create, in their own words, a rapid microwave pul- uh, to create rapid microwave pulses that would slightly heat the soft tissues in the human brain, thereby causing a shock wave and incapacitating the target, the specified target that you'd be aiming that weapon at. And this weapon would be able to be switched from crowd coverage to individual or targeted coverage. There there was to be no property damage, just a temporary incapacitation of a group or individual. The former president and CEO of Waveband Corporation has said that Russia is more advanced in understanding microwave weapons than the United States. Uh, And we know that Russia and China have been engaged in long-term directed energy weapon research and development, and they do not have any ethical concerns about testing it, Mm. uh, anything, uh, testing anything on human subjects. It is well known that the Russians, in particular, were really pioneering this search for microwave or directed energy weapons all the way back to the 1970s. Who knows how far they have come in the last 40 to 50 years. There are no shortage of experts here in the United States who state that the technology has reached a point where a microwave wave weapon could definitely be scaled to fit inside of a van or an SUV. In February of 2022 this year, a symposium was held at the University of Texas on this Havana syndrome. The panel there, a panel of doctors and scientists and engineers suggested that directed radio frequency, microwave weapons, was the most likely cause of the Havana syndrome. This is yet another panel, another group that's looked at that they've considered these other theories about mass hysteria or pesticides or chemicals and, and you know viral agents and all that. But they've come to the same conclusion as those first two panels we talked about earlier that it is, in fact, microwave weapons that would be the most likely cause of all the illnesses and symptoms you're seeing in the people suffering from the Havana syndrome. The panel concluded that this combination of symptoms and what we call the Havana syndrome is unique to the 21st century, and now we need a 21st century explanation. And I'm afraid mass hysteria just doesn't cut that. Now, during our podcast, we've tried to provide a good overview of what is involved with this current phenomenon known as the Havana Syndrome, and we really did try to objectively review the different theories that have been put forward as to the cause of that cluster of all these medical symptoms and illnesses that the victims endured and continue to endure in some cases. We are glad that last year the United States Congress passed the Havana Act, And this legislation authorizes the State Department and the CIA to assist the victims who have suffered serious medical illnesses and injuries, and in some cases who have had to give up their jobs and their careers as a result of the Havana Syndrome. We believe that our fellow Americans, whether they be diplomatic personnel, CIA officers, military personnel guarding our embassies and providing security at our embassies overseas, all of these fellow Americans do deserve any help and assistance that we as a nation can offer to them. They're working on our behalf. 
when they're stationed overseas. And as you've, some of the examples we gave you, you know, they're not only living overseas themselves, but they have their spouses and their children with them. These are very demanding jobs. And I agree with any doctor who says they are high-stress jobs, and high-stress just comes with the territory. And then if you're a CIA operative, one of our actual agents who's involved in the realm of espionage, if you will, well, that's even more high-stress. Yeah. That absolutely is. And I do have tremendous respect for all the men and women who are serving our country, who are trying to help all of us by serving in these capacities overseas at the embassies in whatever, whatever capacity they are. And if they do become ill, they become injured, they become incapacitated, in the course of their work on our behalf, I believe they deserve, at the very least, to get proper medical treatment and care and also some sort of uh, compensation if, in fact, they've had to lose time at work or they've had to actually give up yeah. their careers and lose their jobs. And as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, uh, that the State Department has announced their program for compensating employees who have suffered medical illnesses as a result of Havana Syndrome. The CIA has also set up a similar program for their employees. They will not make public uh, the specific rules that are involved in uh, determining an employee's eligibility for compensation. We do know that employees and family members who display persistent neurological symptoms that cannot otherwise be explained will be considered for eligibility. And the FBI has announced that it ha has issued writing written warnings to all of its employees regarding what they call anomalous health issues. The FBI maintains 63 legal um, attache. attache offices Sorry. and 30 sub-offices in American embassies in other countries around the globe. The instructions include directions regarding how to report an incident and where the employees can go for medical evaluations. There have been some reports that some FBI agents working overseas have been affected with similar symptoms. That's correct, yes. Um, so that's what we were referring to earlier about the fact that the FBI does have rather extensive presence overseas. They do have agents in these 63 legal attache offices that are almost always physically located at an American embassy. And once again, if you're an agent scheduled, uh, stationed over there in one of these legal attache offices, then they have 30 additional sub-offices. <laughs> That's what they call them. But whatever, if you're stationed overseas, again, you're usually living in apartments or housing facilities that are being provided. Uh, you're not in the actual embassy itself. So any of these attacks... Any of these things that people are describing that, init you know, that initially begin with these waves of sound or something like that, you know, the, these piercing uh, pressure points hitting them and then the other symptoms start to go uh, into effect, you know, they're always living, not, they're not at the embassies themselves when this happens, but they're uh, living in whatever facilities they were able to, uh, to get in these other countries while they're carrying out their duties over there. So I'm very glad to see that the FBI has uh, announced that they're taking this seriously, just as the State Department and the CIA are, without any question. And also, I would say something, we don't, the CIA is being very uh, quiet about, you know, the information about what's required as, as far as, you know, what their own employees are to do as far as, you know, how to report these issues and where they're going to go for medical treatment and all that. The FBI um, is a little bit more open about it. The State Department is the most open about it of all. I can understand the CIA because they are an intelligence gathering agency. They are involved in espionage, so they do tend to classify things and keep things rather uh, close to their chest and, and covert. 
But the State Department, don't think of this as they're just throwing money at people now, you know, in order to get through this thing. Uh, I was going through the, the list of the requirements for their people. So you don't just, you can't just go to any doctor. There's a very strict protocol that they're, they're required to follow as to what doctors they can go to. They must be absolute board certified neurologists, yeah. for example, and all that. There, there's, and you know, the type of testing that has to be done. So this isn't some, oh, let's just throw money at this problem and, you know, try to make it go away and help these people and then move on with life. There is, uh, there are protocols that have been developed and they are trying to manage this very carefully and to make sure that these people have a, an actual program that they can uh, report the incidents that they've experienced. They can report the symptoms. They can get then at certain designated facilities and with certain designated doctors, get that proper evaluation, medical evaluation and medical treatment done. So uh, I just want to make that clear that these aren't just, you know, government programs where we're just spending money without any kind of oversight or any kind of uh, strict controls or about what's going on and, you know, how, how, how we're going to deal with the, this issue and, and help these people. So in conclusion, after all of this, the overview, and we've looked at the medical symptoms and the different theories that have been offered, Zach and I believe that the doctors and the scientists who have advocated that theory that radio frequency energy waves or microwave pulse weapons in particular are responsible for the injuries and illnesses associated with the Havana syndrome. Uh, and have these doctors, these scientists have provided solid evidence and very persuasive arguments for this theory. And we have shown in the course of our podcast and our conversation with you all tonight that our own country was involved in attempting to develop portable microwave weapons and that other nations like Russia and China have continued their research in this area after we ourselves had stopped our program for ethical reasons. We feel that the experts uh, we have cited have made a clear case for the plausibility of portable microwave pulse weapons. They are not just the stuff of James Bond spy novels, and we believe that this issue should be of concern to all of us, as Dr. James Giordano, uh, the professor of neurology at Georgetown University, who we cited earlier in this podcast, has said, the brain is the 21st century battlescape and ways to both augment and damage brain function are being worked on. China and Russia are engaged in microwave research. So at the beginning of our conversation, we had said, you know, what exactly is the Havana syndrome? And then we asked and the next question that would logically come after that, you know, do I really have to be concerned about all this? I'm going about my daily routine, my job, yeah. family, you know, paying the bills, all of this stuff. Do we really have to be concerned about this thing that's being talked about on news programs and being uh, talked about in social media? Uh, Jack and I feel that all of us need to be aware that these weapons that will be targeted against human brains are in fact a reality. We're just going by what the experts that we've, and we've only cited a few of them, what these experts are telling us. These weapons that will be targeted against human brains are reality and we must all be prepared for this future of warfare. It's not gonna just involve military planes and jets, tanks or Navy ships, submarines. Uh, it's going to involve it's not going to just involve the, the traditional military weapons that we think of when we think of, you know, a soldier with bazookas and rifles and bayonets and all that. Uh, we will be dealing with weapons that can cause the type of injuries and the type of medical problems and illnesses that we're seeing now, today, 
2022 with the victims of the Havana syndrome. And that's something I think that should concern us to at least the degree that we want to keep this in the back of our mind, that look, this Havana syndrome is not nonsensical. There are a lot of good people that have been working on this for some years now. They're seeing, honest to God, medical problems that aren't just psychological or mass hysteria, but they are in fact caused by something very specific. And the testing that's being done and the review of those test results that are being done and the other medical evaluations that are being done are showing that the most likely cause of these, in fact, is not some insecticide or not some uh, viral agent or mass hysteria, but it is some sort of microwave radiation weapon. Um, And now, as we've discussed, we even know that here in our own country, we were actually working on portable microwave radiation weapons ourselves, certainly as recently as 2004. And I have no doubt that the counterparts of the people that were working on these weapons here in our country, the counterparts in Russia or China and God knows who else, North Korea or wherever, they didn't stop. They're continuing to work on this. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see that they have not only continued to do their research and testing, but that they've come a lot farther than we were able to get to by that point in 2004 when we stopped on the Medusa weapon, or or, God knows what else there was that we don't know about that might still be classified. But I don't think it's fair for some people to be out there right now uh, debunking this whole idea, uh, you know, implying that these people are just dealing with hysteria and it's all in their heads and it's causing medical issues, and that can happen, of course. Any doctor will tell you that stress will find an outlet. You know, someone who is under tremendous stress Mm -hmm. can sometimes have, uh, suddenly start having medical symptoms, pains, and all sorts of things. I've certainly known people that have experienced that. And doctors will tell you that pain is real. It's real pain. Sometimes they call it psychic pain. I remember having a conversation one day with a neurologist at the University of Pennsylvania many years ago about a patient who uh, had all kinds of things that they were reporting as far as medical symptoms. And in the end, it really did turn out that the person was in an awful lot of tremendous stress at home and hadn't been dealing with that stress and undertaking any kind of stress relief. So stress will find an outlet. And in this case, the stress was uh, at finding the outlet in the realm of medical symptoms of you know chest pains and back pains and all kinds of physical problems that the person was experiencing. The person really is experiencing that pain and a good doctor is not going to make fun of that person or downplay the severity of the pain that they're feeling. As that neurologist said to me, you know, it's psychic pain is real and you have to treat the whole person. You want to work with them to help them. That's your job as a physician. That's why he became a physician to help people deal with medical problems and pain and to alleviate that pain in those conditions. So, but in this case, I don't think we're dealing with, as many of these doctors and scientists are saying, we're not dealing with uh, some psychological problem. Yes, there's stress involved, certainly, but they're dealing with, as they said, a 21st century syndrome here, very unique, very uh, targeted specific locales where these things are happening and then a unique combination of medical symptoms and problems that they're not used to seeing. That's what's making them so unique. So we think they, uh, we were persuaded by, by we, we did a lot more reading and research. We can only give you so much information right now, but we're giving that overview because we don't want to go on and on and on for hours. But uh, in the end, I would say that we, uh, we were impressed by uh, the doctors and the scientists who have said, whoa, don't be talking about chasing unicorns when you're talking about uh, microwave uh, pulse weapons aren't, you know, aren't real. It's ridiculous. This is James Bond, you know, a spy novel. This is something out of a Hollywood movie. 
Well, not according to these scientists that we've been talking about and we quoted tonight that are saying, no, no, we've, we were working on these things. This stuff's been going on for a while. We ourselves were working on this here in the United States all the way back in 2004. The program did stop, but the Medusa weapon is not some urban legend or myth. This is real. It's real. It's documented. The, the uh, former president and CFO of that company that you were uh, talking about, their CEO, I'm sorry, of that company, you know, that was actually doing the work on the prototype of that Medusa weapon uh, has been interviewed. And I've, I've read, you know, we both were looking at what he said. It, no, this is really very real, very real. But the Russians are far ahead of us. Yeah. And they would be my number one suspect. <laughs> I won't deny that. I mean, it could be any number of, believe me, uh, the, the world of espionage is... Well, it's all over. It's in every country in the world, and there's a lot going on right now. It's funny that uh, when you look at the numbers of patients, and there's some variations, but if you try to look up, like, how many people have this syndrome? I mean, certainly, I think we can safely say it's been several hundred people that have been seriously evaluated and looked at as honestly having, you know, this this syndrome of illnesses and uh, medical problems that definitely can be tied into the most likely or plausible explanation of the microwave weapon, a targeted weapon. Um, some people say it's been up to a thousand, but then other doctors and scientists say, well, no, wait a minute, when we start, you know, when you start going through this, some of these people, you know, can be uh, people that you can kind of weed out from the, uh, from the idea that, yeah, maybe there, maybe we can come up with a psychological explanation for them or something else, or it's, it's not quite the same combination as what these Havana syndrome patients are having, but, but certainly several hundred people have had it. The difference between what Zach and I try to do here in the attic and what the people we call uh, politely as professional debunkers or skeptics, the difference between us and them is that we don't start with a conclusion. <laughs> when we discussed doing a podcast and having a conversation with everyone about this Havana syndrome phenomenon, we didn't have a conclusion yet. We didn't know. We had to start from scratch and begin to do our research, and that's why we looked at everything. And that all those theories we mentioned to you, we, we were reading over all the information that we could find, and both the pros and cons, the arguments that were being made on both sides about each of those theories. So we didn't approach it with a conclusion first. We actually tried to work our way and go back and forth and hash through all of this information, all everything that we could find about this to try to get our arms around this and in the end then we reached our conclusion which is that we do believe these doctors and scientists that are talking about these radio frequency weapons they're not talking about something fantastical or crazy they're talking about something very real that we ourselves have worked on and other countries are working on and will continue to work on and i think that all of us should just keep that in mind now that this world keeps changing technology keeps advancing and this is one more thing that we just want to keep in mind because Today we're talking about someone using these type of weapons to target a, you know, someone working in an embassy, a diplomatic representative of the United States in an embassy overseas or a CIA officer or you know, military guards that are stationed at these embassies. But down the road, who knows who's going to get their hands on these things as they continue to be enhanced and developed further and technologically improved. And then what? Will you have the situation coming? And we all have to think about this just to be realistic not to be obsessive or to get depressed, but, you know, are you going to have drug kingpins getting their hands on these at some point and they'll be able to use them against the members of their rival gangs or rival drug kingpins, you know, or organized crime figures, the same thing. You know what I'm talking about. Once these things do become reality, it just seems that then they get picked up 
and taken over by people that shouldn't really have their hands on them. So it's just something for us to keep in mind. The very nature of warfare is changing. Uh, I don't see in the foreseeable future that warfare is going to go away. We seem to have tension in the situation in Ukraine right now. We can certainly see what's going on. And uh, we just have to think about that and keep that in mind for the future, that these people are not faking these injuries and illnesses, giving up their careers for, for no reason. Uh, we're dealing with a very, you know, challenging situation here and, and, and a lot of new challenges facing us and this is just one of them so yeah we do think that we should all be paying a little bit of attention to what's going on right now because we're going to be hearing more news i'm sure in the in uh, the future about this havana syndrome and the patients that are will be continue to be stricken with it and be treated for it and i just think it's a subject that we may be coming back to again at some point in the future because it's not going to go away this is not some passing thing it is a mystery there's still a lot of debate even the doctors that talk about this still say it's a mystery about how some of these medical things are unfolding and the combinations of them and all that. And that's why we decided to talk about that here in the attic. We'd like to talk about mysteries in the attic. The Havana syndrome is one of them. Yeah, um, that was, I kind of just let you go on your little tangent there because you, you. you hit pretty much every point that I want to hit. I just oh, wanted to say that <laughs> I think it, it's uh, it's pretty naive of these, we call them professional debunkers, right? <laughs> to think that, like you said, these people are leaving their jobs and they're making up these fake symptoms. But I also think that it, it, this is a real thing. And right now, I think that the average person like myself doesn't really have anything to worry about as of right now. Right. We're not, I, I'm not going to get microwaved, hopefully, but... I'm going to tell you this right now. After this episode, if I wake up and I look out my window and there's a white van out there, then me and you are going to be having a conversation. But like I said, I don't think it's really anything that the regular person should be too worried about right now. No. It's not something to lose sleep over. But, oh, no, no. but I think it's definitely a, an issue uh, that that these people are having. And I hope that there's a way that we can get to the bottom of this. And here on the uh, Uncle Mark's Attic, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide you guys with the information, and we're trying to work together as a team, as a unit, to, I guess you could say, solve these mysteries, right? At least to objectively approach them. Yeah. Not not reach our conclusions exactly, first, and then, yes. they can then go back and try to twist and bend the evidence or cherry-pick certain things that will yeah. back up the conclusion that we, that we make. We don't do that. We have to, we have to start from the beginning. Yeah, and, and we do like mysteries, uh, and we like to try to solve them. This one is an ongoing mystery. I, I do think the, the doctors and scientists are right that it is this, that somehow or another, there has been the development of a microwave weapon that is responsible for what's going on to these fellow Americans. The important thing is I want these fellow Americans treated properly. I want them getting the right treatment. I want them compensated if they've lost their jobs, if they had to leave their careers, and and also for medical expenses, some of them face some pretty tremendous medical expenses on their own. So I'm glad I want them getting this program. I'm glad Congress did that, and everybody should be uniting on this. We've got to take care of our fellow Americans that are representing us and working for us overseas in all of those capacities. It it is a mystery, though. I do agree that even some of the doctors that have been extensively involved with some of the patients say that if this is this is a 21st century syndrome 
It is a 21st century problem, and it is a 21st century mystery, and it's requiring a 21st century explanation. So they'll continue to work on this, and we'll continue to follow up on what's going on. So perhaps down the road at some point, we may have some more updated information about this Havana syndrome. Again, very well said. Uh, Luke, how are we doing on time, buddy? Good? What is it looking like? You can speak. Okay, perfect. Oh, we made good. perfect time. I would say that's, that's, that's right. good time. We don't like to go too long. Perfect. I think I think we can wrap up on that note. I think we hit pretty much every good. every single point that we could have possibly hit so far with the information that has been provided about this topic. I think that we we really got it out there. So if you don't know or you didn't know about the Havana Syndrome before this podcast episode, I hope that you learned something. And if you did know about the Havana Syndrome, I hope that you learned something new that you did not know prior to listening to this episode. That's good. Well yep. said. Very well said. And once again, uh, we got the upgraded quality. We got this camera here, and we got this camera here. Uh, and hopefully, we're really, hopefully, praying and trying to be as consistent as possible. And we know that there's a lot of you out there who look forward to our episodes and it's not always uh, the easiest for us to get episodes out every single week, but we really mean that we're going to try this time because we'll yeah, we, we really want to do this and we really enjoy providing this information for you guys. So yeah, that's really all I have to say. Mark, do you have anything, any final thoughts here? Thank you all for joining us. On this conversation, thank you for watching or listening to us on this podcast. Uncle Mark's Attic is a work in progress. <laughs> I would say so, yes. Uh, we've slowly been putting this studio together. <laughs> this is very impressive that we have a lot more equipment now here. We're getting better and better, but it is a work in progress. Uh, as we said from the very beginning, we were just starting off. We were amateurs, which, you know, and we've certainly been learning some things the hard way, but we're enjoying this, and we want to continue to keep providing what we hope will be podcasts that are informative, educational, and entertaining. Uh, and we're going to continue to look into all sorts of different subjects, and we have a lot of podcasts planned for the future. So thank you all for joining us for this podcast, and we will see you again next time here in Uncle Mark's Attic.